Sweet. Okay. Hey, you got your Bibles? Go with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Yeah, and just being in between, uh, you know, wrapping up uh, 2 Samuel and getting ready to go into a new series, I thought it'd be fun to do a bit of a Bible prophecy update. There's lots of people asking questions about, hey, what's going on in the world? What does the church think is happening in the world? And I thought it would be, yeah, fun to look at a few things here, okay? So, um, but I wanted to, just before we start uh, diving in, is give us some principles, just some thoughts that I had as we go into Bible prophecy, a little bit of guiding principles, okay? So first one is this. Bible prophecy is not concerned with wars that do not involve Israel, okay? Important to know this. Bible prophecy always relates to the nation of Israel and nations that are at war with the nation of Israel. So, you know, with the wars of other nations, like we see going on in the world, that is just not the focus of Bible prophecy. It always relates as to Israel. The second thing I want to say is this, second principle, calling it just say no. We don't believe replacement theology. You know, as a church and what I teach, uh, you know, replacement theology is the belief that um, Israel has been replaced by the church and all of the covenant promises that were given to Israel are handed off to uh, the nation of Israel, uh, to the church. And I would just say this, Bible prophecy never makes sense if you treat uh, Israel as though it has been replaced by the church. So many things won't make sense. It requires this like, you know, theological gymnastics to contort yourself, con to contort the church into the position of Israel. And then I would say you're left with the inexplicable predicament of modern day Israel. They're there. They're present. They are a major force on the earth. I think I heard this week, the third largest economy in the world, that tiny little nation of Israel. And so, you know, we're not preaching that I'm not, I don't believe this, we don't, we don't see this, that the nation of Israel has been regenerated, that they trust in Jesus. They don't, they're a secular nation, but God has not abandoned his covenant with them. Did you know that the nation of Israel is preparing for 200,000 Ukrainian, Russian Jews to return to the land? This week, 14,000 made Aliyah return to the land of Israel. The Bible prophesies that the time is going to come when every Jew on earth will be there in that land. And, and I, we're, we've already crossed the tipping point of 50%. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Israel, you know, is a reality that cannot be ignored when it comes to our understanding of Bible prophecy. Third thing I want to say about Bible prophecy, Bible prophecy is to prepare us, not to scare us. You know, when we think about these things, what we see is, uh, you know, Bible prophecy is an invitation to see what God is doing in the world. It's like we get the benefit of this, that, that the Lord pulls back the curtain of history, the curtain of the future, and it's like the church gets to see on the inside. We get to know what's happening. The Lord shows us the acts that he's going to do in the world before they happen, and what a blessing that the church is not left in the dark. Jesus said that he's the light of the world. 
History belongs to him. The future belongs to him. And so he gives his church his word so that we can be in the light and understand what he is doing. And then the fourth thing I want to say is this, is that prophecy is best understood after it's already been fulfilled. That kind of makes sense, don't you think? It's like, that makes sense. Bible prophecy is best understood once it's fulfilled. Uh, You know, so I would say this. There's always speculation when it comes to discussions around Bible prophecy and what the Lord is doing in the world. And, and the speculation never becomes entirely clear until the word of God is fulfilled. Like think about all the prophecies that the nation of Israel had about the coming of the Messiah and the speculations that they had with regards to those things. And it didn't become entirely clear until Jesus came in his first advent. Uh, but on the anticipation side of those prophecies, there, there, were, there were questions, there were wonderings, there was uh, you know, questions about how this would play out and speculations. And, and I would say this, even today when we open our Bibles, it's okay to speculate about Bible prophecy. That's involved in this discussion. I'm not, so I would say this, here's what I'm going to, you know, this is my precursor, this is my like exit out of this message. No, just kidding. I'm not going to say this is how it's going to be. I'm saying let's consider these things, let's consider God's word, and let's make sure that our hearts are right before Jesus as we wait for his coming church. So this is fun stuff to talk about. One third of our Bible is Bible prophecy. One third. It's an exciting part of God's word. And so we don't do ourselves any favors when we ignore it, when we pretend that it doesn't matter. These things are here for our comfort, uh, for our preparation to teach us that God is sovereign over the nations and that he is working out his salvation story. So as those who follow Christ, we get the privilege of peeking behind the curtain so to speak, to see what God is doing. Now, Peter said this, the Apostle Peter, he said that in the last days, followers of Christ will scoff at discussions of his return. Isn't that crazy? That that'll happen amongst the people of God. So we have to guard our hearts against that. Guard our hearts at at scoffing at at discussions around the return of Christ. Peter actually said this, that the first advent of Jesus and the things that he saw and that the apostles saw and that they proclaimed actually makes more certain all of the words of the prophets. So if you haven't figured it out by the background yet, I'm going to talk about Russia and the Ukraine war this morning. And primarily I want to talk about um, Russia and if it has any place in biblical prophecy. It does it. So let me give some qualifiers for that before I do. Uh, Just some personal ones. I'm going to make some personal statements. First one is this. I want to say right off the hop, I am not pro-war, okay? I am not. I don't want to see what's happening in the Ukraine happen anywhere in this world, do you? I want to see it. It's devastating. It's like awful. It's like the more stuff that comes out of there, the worse it is. It's awful. And I don't think the actions of Russia are justifiable. But here's the other thing. I also don't trust the narrative that we're hearing in the West, do you? 
I mean, I just don't. The historical background of what is happening is very complicated. It goes back a long time. And the West and America and NATO are not innocent parties in the things that are happening in the world. So, you know, I'm not, because I'm not pro-war, I'm going to just say to you, I'm not interested in picking sides. What you will not hear from me today, I hope, is hear me picking sides. We are turning to the Word of God as a church to see what the Lord has to say. I am interested in the kingdom of God, aren't you? I am interested in glorifying Jesus. I am interested in the word of God. I am interested in the lost hearing about Jesus. And I am interested in the church being ready for the coming of King Jesus. That is the value of this discussion. And if there is someone who I want to express care for, if there's a group I want to express care for, in the midst of everything playing out, it is uh, the lost, it is the church, it is the orphan, it is the widow, it's the foreigner. I'm not interested in saying that the West is right or justifying Russia today. I'm not for Putin and I'm not for America. Okay, is that clear? Just as we get into this, is that cool? That being said, you know, Putin's probably not as bad as he's being portrayed. America and the West is not as righteous as they claim. Zelensky seems pretty heroic in some things that he's done, but under his leadership, his government has been part of policies and actions that do not leave him with the designation of innocent. I'll just tell you, I don't trust that guy. He is like the ideal world leader that, that this world is looking for. Leaders just like him. But we're the church. Where do we look? We look to Christ and we look to his word. And so this morning I'm not here to defend a political position, but to talk about what the Bible says about prophecy. And I would just say this, you know, if we just listen to media, we get a very one-sided view, message full of propaganda, don't you think? Have we not figured that out in the last two years? You know, if there is one thing that the last two years has taught us and demonstrated to anyone who is willing to think, it's that the media we are fed day in and day out is not independent journalism. It is a propaganda machine bought and paid for. And uh, I, I would just say this. <laughs> Amen. Those are the false prophets of our day. They're channeling, programming, telling their vision, broadcasting, casting their spells over the nations. They are the false prophets of our day. And so we, we don't go to them for information. Yes, we, we, we discern, we look, we check out all sides. But as the church, where do we return? to the law and the testimony, to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching. Paul said this, we are citizens and saints and members of the household of God, and it says in Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So with that, those kind of things said, you know, I've been getting this question, like, and I've been hearing this question. Um, what relationship to Bible prophecy does the stuff have that's going on in the world? So it's kind of, it's kind of fun to talk about and to think about, to speculate on, to turn to God's word and to consider these things. And again, in terms of war, Bible prophecy is not concerned with wars that don't relate to Israel. Bible prophecy, 
when it comes to the nations, is always concerned about their relation to Israel. Jerusalem is the center of the earth in God's kingdom and in God's world, around which Bible prophecy pivots. But there are some significant things in Scripture that I thought might be fun to consider this morning. So, you got your Bibles? Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, okay? It says this, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given it. Verse 5, And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, had four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns." I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from him. A thousand 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 served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, I wasn't going to read this part, but I'm going to keep reading uh, through, so I've got to flip over to my Bible here from my iPad. Verse 13, because I just love this. It's called, The Son of Man is Given Dominion. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All right, so this is... Daniel's dream, this dream and vision that he has of these beasts coming up out of the sea. And it's very interesting because this is uh, Daniel's dream, but Daniel chapter 2 tells us about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel has a dream and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And I'm going to throw up a graphic. It's just going to come up on the screen. One that illustrates Nebuchadnezzar's dream and one that illustrates 
the dream of uh, Daniel. As you know from Daniel chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this great statue. It ha- statue had a head of gold. It had a chest of silver, uh, hip, hips and abdomen of, of bronze. And then the legs were made of iron and then down into the feet uh, mixed with clay. And it had 10 toes. And, and as you know, Nebuchadnezzar just didn't understand that dream. And this is where Daniel was called onto the scene. And he interpreted the dream. The Lord gave him an understanding of the dream. And he interpreted it for Nebuchadnezzar. He said, uh, this, this statue that you've seen represents a succession of kingdoms that are going to come on the face of the earth. And you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, Babylon. And after you will come another kingdom and then another and then another. And, and we know this, so it's Babylon, Medo-Persia, the uh, Greek kingdom, and then Rome. And then what happens in his vision is, is as the uh, iron legs are, the two iron legs, there's clay mixed into the feet. They've got 10 toes. And uh, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, a, a rock comes from heaven and crushes the feet and the, the whole thing comes down. And, and we recognize this, that the, the toes, the iron mixed with clay represents a kingdom that's going to come at the end of days led by 10, ten leaders. Um, and so Daniel chapter 2. Now, so Daniel chapter 2, I would say Nebuchadnezzar's dream shows the empires of the world from the perspective of man, right? It's like, yeah, look at this. This is the perspective of man. Now, Daniel chapter 7, his dream and his division, uh, sorry, his vision has often been described uh, as the same empires with animal descriptions. And it's been said that this is the perspective of God. So it's like, this is the perspective of man and this is the perspective of God. I've taught that text this way. I think it was... 2008, 2009, we went through Daniel. It's been a long time since we did that as a church. Such a great book. And so you got Babylon represented by the gold head and the lion with wings. You got Medo-Persia represented by the chest of silver with the bear. Then uh, the Greek is the abdomen midsection of bronze. And you got the the four-headed creature, the leopard creature with wings. And then the legs of iron which represents uh, Rome and this kingdom that's coming at the end of days, 10 toes mixed with iron and clay with this kind of dreadful, I don't know, they made, in this illustration, they made it look like a dinosaur. Dreadful, 10-horned beast picturing an end-timed, revived Roman empire. So it's interesting, you know, Bible prophecy can have multiple pictures lots of times as we know this. Like lots of times scripture has a historical fulfillment and a prophetic fulfillment. A scripture can come back around twice, you know. It's like it can be fulfilled in past and yet have future meaning holding to it. And I I actually think that Daniel chapter 7 to me is one of those. And so for a couple of reasons, I'm not going to land here on this traditional Daniel chapter 7 to say that this is a vision, uh, a dream of that Daniel had of God's perspective. I think that there's some other things that could be seen in there. And again, this is speculation. It's just fun, church. It's like, hey, let's think about these things. 
and uh, think about what God is doing. So a couple reasons, I won't give that traditional historical interpretation, and, and uh, let's start, let me give you the first one by reading again, Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, come on the screen. It says this, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, these beasts come up out of the sea. What, what actually the picture is, is that they come out of the sea together. In Scripture, the stirring of the sea, the sea is always a picture of the Gentile nations, okay? That's always the, the sign. Every, every time you read about Bible, you're reading in sections of Bible prophecy and the stir, the sea is being stirred, that is the Gentile nations being stirred. And, and uh, it's interesting that these come up out of the sea. So I would say this, these kingdoms exist together at the same time. That's different from the historical interpretation of Daniel chapter 7. It's not a succession of kingdoms. Maybe can we chuck that back up there? Not a succession of kingdoms, but beasts that seem to coexist at the same time. Now in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, it was a succession of, of kingdoms that came. But in Daniel chapter 7, we're just saying, well, maybe that's not the case of a succession of stronger kingdoms down to weaker kingdoms. So that's, that's one thing. These, these nations exist at the same time. Then check out Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. It says this. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season. So this is the conclusion. After all of these kingdoms have risen up and the Lord has come in judgment, what happens is this, is that the final, the final kingdom, can we chuck that back up there? Let's just leave it up there. Um, the final kingdom is destroyed, but it says here that the other beasts were, pro, their existence prolonged. Their power was taken away, but they weren't gone. Did you catch that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 12? The power to rule was taken away, but their lives were prolonged. Of course, Daniel chapter 7 here is speaking of the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is after Jesus comes. We, we read that the Son of Man is given dominion. He rules and reigns on the earth. We know this from other places in, in Bible prophecy for a thousand years, uh, at the end of which there will be one final rebellion. The nations will raise their head one last time, and then Jesus will crush it, and the Lord will remake the earth with fire, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And so there's, there's two reasons here why I want to apply these to modern nations. Daniel chapter 7 one is that they coexist together. They come up out of the sea together. And the second thing is this, is that those first three, the lion, the bear, and the leopard with four heads, their lives are prolonged and they exist after that revived Roman empire has been crushed. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. So it's kind of fun to think about this. The first animal described is a lion that has eagle's wings and they were plucked off. Now, there's a nation in the world, an empire, that has the lion as its symbol. What is it? England. It's okay. If you get a wrong answer, it's okay. Yeah, England. 
Come on, you guys. England. What, is, what do they say about the British Empire? The sun never sets on the British Empire. The empire is so vast, even to this day, that the Commonwealth nations, I mean, the sun is always shining on one of those Commonwealth nations or whether we think about colonized countries in the past, somewhere in the world, the sun is shining. England is the symbolic, you know, animal personification of the nation of England. Great Britain is a lion. And it says here that the lion had eagle's wings. What, what nation do we associate with the eagle? That's right, America. Kind of fun to just think about this. America. America had its conception from England, but then American Revolution, the wings are broken off. It's separated from the lion, okay? So we're not, we're not spending our time there this morning. Brings us to the next animal where I want to spend our time. It's described as a bear, which has a side raised up and three ribs in its mouth. What nation has the personification of a bear in our world? Russia, you got it. Fun, eh? It's kind of fun. Just think about this stuff. I grabbed some pictures off the internet to illustrate this. Here's the first one. Russian bear. He's got his hat on. Look at that. Okay, this is the personification of Russia, hey? How about this one? Go to the next one. Here's the Russian flag. With the, you, you'll find stuff like this everywhere. Just do a quick search. I mean, you know these pictures. The nations understand this. This is the personification of Russia with their flag, and it's a bear. How about this? This is the logo of Putin's political party. What animal is that? The bear. Okay? Let's go to the next one. Here's a cartoon for you. What do we got? Russia illustrated by the bear. NATO with a sign warning. If you go beyond this point, you know, you enter a territory that we protect, except there's nothing there except the sign. And uh, there's no tank actually there. It's just a picture, and uh, it looks pretty teeny-weensy compared to <laughs> that bear that's bearing down on it. Not going to stop that bear, that sign, is it? So look at the personification of Russia is the bear. Can we agree about that? That is the quintessential symbol that Russia sees themselves as, and that the world sees them as. The rest of the world uses the same picture that Russia uses to illustrate them. The bear. The bear. Everyone knows when it comes to geopolitical uh, you know, personifications, Russia is the bear. Now let's check out Daniel chapter 7, verse 5 again. It says this, And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. So it's interesting. It's a strange description here. It's raised up. This bear is raised up on one side. And uh, well, first of all, I think this, you know, Russia in its, in its current form came into existence with the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? The USSR. We know that there are many countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union that now have independence and and neighbor Russia. And Daniel says this, that he saw the bear raise up on one side. Now, I just think of the geographic picture of Russia on my mind. If we go on the east side of Russia, the Bering Sea is over there. America's on the other side of the water. You know, Mongolia, 
China. But over on the west side is Europe. And that side of the bear has been raised up in the midst of the current conflict that has led to war. I'm going to get you to chuck up that map picture there. There's, there's the uh, western side of Russia. It's hard to find a map that got the whole thing. But this is interesting. I thought this map was interesting because the reddish color, uh, pinkish color, uh, highlights Russia, but then it highlights nations that have allied themselves with Russia. Okay, so those are those nations that are in the reddish color. And then in the kind of lighter green color, all these European nations are pointed out. And there you have nations that are aligned with NATO. That's what that's illustrating. Nations that are aligned with the North Atlantic Treaty. And then you have some nations that are kind of like another green color. And those are nations that have remained in a neutral position. They haven't joined the Russians and they haven't joined Uh, the North Atlantic Treaty. So just kind of interesting. So between Russia and NATO is a number of of nations not officially aligned with either side, and some of those nations, just like Eve was taken out of Adam's side and formed from a rib, these nations were formed that same way. They were taken out of the side of Russia and they became independent nations. It's a cool picture, isn't it? Think about this. A rib taken from the side, like Ukraine, like Crimea, like Georgia, like Belarus, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Daniel saw a bear, and it had three ribs that were taken out of its side, and they were in its mouth. Now check out this cartoon that I found. Go to the next cartoon. Sheesh. Isn't that crazy? Gary Varvel, whatever, I wrote down his name in my notes, but uh, that's, that's a bear. <laughs> the personification of Russia and what's in its teeth? Ukraine. Ukraine. It's like it's one of the ribs in the mouth. And I don't know, maybe we could question and we could wonder, well, what are the three ribs in the mouth of the bear? Is it possible they're Ukraine, Crimea, Georgia? I, I don't know. I mean, we're just having some fun Bible speculation this morning, okay? I don't know if those are the three ribs, but I'd say that it's probably pretty safe that Ukraine's one of them, for sure. And to see that bear raised up on one side, this is a bit of a clearer picture of this, because Daniel saw three ribs in the mouth of the bear. Three ribs in its mouth. I, I looked up, I thought this was super interesting, I looked up in Scripture the phrase, in the mouth. I'm like, where else is that phrase used in Scripture? And I was shocked to discover that every time that phrase is used in the Old Testament, it has a negative connotation. Here's what the Bible says can be in the mouth. A lying spirit. That the Lord sent into the mouth of the false prophets a lying spirit. The Scripture says that in the mouth, wrath is kindled. The scripture also says that in the mouth is the rod of pride. That the rod is a symbol of power used to punish and the rod of pride comes from the mouth. Isn't that interesting? Check out Proverbs chapter 26 verse 7. It says this, Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is is a proverb in the mouth of fools. 
or 26 verse 9. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. I mean, this, this, this phrase in Scripture, I actually gave you all five spots that it's used in the Old Testament. This, this phrase is connotated with drunkenness. It's connotated with, with uh, limp, useless legs that don't work, lame legs. Every time the Scripture uses the phrase in the mouth, the context is not good. And we read here that the bear had three ribs in its mouth. Daniel says they were between its teeth. Moses actually used this phrase. Moses used this terminology. When Moses was speaking in the book of Deuteronomy to the children of Israel before they were about to enter the promised land, he was warning them about their rebellious hearts. Warning them about the danger that was ahead of them should they rebel against the Lord and as he warned them about their disobedience to the Lord and the consequences that would follow, he said this in Deuteronomy 32, verse 24, I will send the teeth of beasts against them and the venom of things that crawl in the dust. The language Moses was using uh, was a descriptor of war. That the Lord would send warfare, that he would put his children between the teeth of a beast. And in, the message, in his message, the context is clear. The, the context is the speech of war. Now, the bear in Daniel 7 is commanded by the Lord. Remember, this command comes from God, which is very interesting. If we're going to take this text and apply this to the current situation about what's going on. So it needs to direct how we pray. This command comes from God, and the command is this, arise and devour much flesh. Eat, consume, devastate, devour. This consuming picture of war, Moses also used in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Check it out. Deuteronomy 32, 42. This is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel and their disobedience, the potential of it. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. So this is, this is terminology of uh, war, devastation, an enemy consuming another nation. And it says this, that the ribs were taken from the bear's side. He will get them in his mouth and he will devour. You know, I think about a bear robbed of its cubs. I mean, you talk about ribs being taken from a side. How about a bear robbed of its cubs? You know, most encounters with a bear can be navigated. Nobody gets hurt. Unless what situation? It's like, don't get between a bear and its cubs. That's the one instance you never want to find yourself in when you have a bear encounter. You don't want to get between the bear and its cubs. When you get between a bear and its cubs, you are in serious danger. Remember 2 Samuel 17? We were there just not long ago. Absalom was leading a rebellion against his father, and David sent his trusted counselor, Hushai, back to frustrate the good counsel that Absalom was receiving, and Hushai warned Absalom. He said this in 2 Samuel 17, verse 8. Hushai said, 
You know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of its cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war and will not spend the night with the people. Proverbs 17, 12 says this, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of its cubs rather than a fool in his folly. The Lord said this, actually, in Hosea 13, verse 7 and 9, about the children of Israel. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast and I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, your helper. Proverbs 28, 15 says this, Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over people. Again, you know, I'm not for Putin. I'm not for America. I, I, I want peace, don't you? I pray that there'll be peace in this situation. But I, I'm going to just say this. I don't think Russia's losing this one. Ukraine's going to be fully in their possession or we might have World War III. <laughs> And the sanctions the world is levying on Russia, is very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. As they lay down these sanctions on the world and the world just cuts off them, their reliance on Russian resources. I mean, we're, you know, for whatever reason, we're getting ripped off at the pump, aren't we? Man, it's brutal. I'm like, No. Like, I'm like, dear Jesus, just make my gas tank like, you know, the oil in those jars with Elijah or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. You know, apparently America uh, has reopened discussions with Venezuela, who they've had, like, sanctions against for a long time. They've been buying Russian oil. Now they've cut off Russia and they're reopening their talks with Venezuela to replace the Russian oil that they typically buy. But those Venezuelan, whatever was going on with Venezuela, that doesn't matter anymore because Russia's been cut off. Europe, sanctioning Russia. Russia, as you well know, supplies Europe with oil, man. It is like, it has been their position of power. Hey, we just, you want to be a problem for us, Europe? We just turn the taps off. We'll turn the taps off and, and you're, you're hooped. They have, you know, you're up over the barrel, so to speak. And, 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 and I would say that's recently, at least until there were new discoveries of oil. You know, since I've been the pastor of this church, new discoveries of oil that could help Europe. Russia is a resource-based economy. Oil is their thing, man. But Europe is now turning to another nation uh, to replace their supply of Russian oil. And Europe believes there is another country that can supply them with that oil and can do it really quickly. They won't even skip a beat. Guess what nation that is? That's right, church. It's Israel. It's Israel. Israel is the answer to Europe's oil supply. Israel can open the taps and, and Europe seriously won't skip a beat. It's like they can, they can dial up their oil production 50%, boom, already this week. 
And Russia will have nobody over the oil barrel. No one. And that's where this gets interesting. Turn your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Just back one book from Daniel. Pages. Back end of Ezekiel's exciting, exciting book. I mean, at least till you get to chapter four. I find chapter 40 to 48 a very dry read. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 37 is so exciting. It's the valley of dry bones. And we know this, that this was a prophecy Ezekiel gave about the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's prophecy fulfilled. Ezekiel 38 and 39 recounts a war that is still future. Ezekiel's very clear. He says as many times in this prophecy that this will happen in the latter days. And it's, it's a prophecy about a, a, a group of nations that is going to come in war against the children of Israel. And then, and then chapters 40 through 48 are interesting because chapters 40 through 48 prophesy after all of that when King Jesus has come and he comes for a thousand years, what it'll be like on the earth and when the temple is built and it describes the thousand year reign of Jesus and what is going on in Israel during that time. Um, and so, you know, again, it's just kind of interesting to think this. Just bring this back into context. 200,000 Ukrainian, Russian Jews are expected to descend upon Israel this year. To immigrate there immediately because of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And, and might we just suggest this, that is it possible that Israel supplying oil to Europe might be the hook that gets in the jaw of Russia to draw them into the Ezekiel 38 and 39 attack of Israel? And if they do, many historical enemies of the Jewish people of the nation of Israel will join Russia in that attack. So that I would say this, look at, to me, this is the significance of the current conflict. How's it going to get to Israel? That's my question. How's it going to get there? And I think that this might be the significance of the current, prof, you know, the current conflict to Bible prophecy. Maybe this is the hook that gets Russia. So let's, let's read a few of these verses. We won't spend a lot of time here. But just a, a few things we'll point it out. Ezekiel 38, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And verse, uh, oh, I did read verse 3. Okay. So, yeah, again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to spend a lot of time dive, diving in. You know, I encourage you to go home. Check it out. You can look all this stuff up, you know, in your, in your Bible commentaries. You can look online. You can find tons of teaching all over the Internet. Uh, and Bible scholars identify, you know, there's some questions. Of course, there's some questions. But generally, these nations can be identified. These names can be identified. Gog is an individual. Gog is the leader of this group of nations that is going to attack, attack Israel. Um, you know, Magog is listed there. If you've got an ESV Bible, there'll be a, a footnote that will direct you down on the bottom of the page. It will say the Prince of Rosh. Um, 
And Bible scholars believe that uh, Magog, the Prince of Rosh, are, is Russia. Former USSR states that have become independent that will join them, like Kazakhstan, maybe Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, maybe even Azkai. You know, I like what David Jeremiah says. He says, it's the stands. <laughs> that refers to the stands. <laughs> Mark Hitchcock points out that all of these nations have a commitment to Islam. And, and Rosh is Russia. There's lots of discussion about that, but I'm just going to say that this, this morning. I, I believe that, and, and uh, not time to dive too much into it. Ezekiel 38 verse 6 identifies that these nations will come from the uttermost parts of the north. Okay? Now again, Jerusalem is the center of Bible prophecy, Israel. So it's like when the compass gets laid down, it's from Jerusalem. And directly north of Jerusalem, as far as you can go, is Russia. Is Russia. So uh, you got Meshach, Tubal, Torgamah uh, is listed, which are, I'm not reading all this, but I'm just going to list them off, which is modern Turkey. Along with them will come Persia, which is Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, which some suggest is Germany, which is interesting. It's just fun to look at this stuff. Now check out Ezekiel 38 verse 4. And I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, your horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield and wielding swords. So this list of nations is given... And the Lord says, I'm going to put a hook. I'm the one who is, I'm going to lead them towards the land of Israel, and I'm going to draw them down, and they're going to come in full battle array, and they are going to be ready for war. Now, the question is why? Well, check out verse 12 of chapter 38. It says this, To seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited. That is a description of Israel. If you don't know the history, that was essentially wasteland until the Jews moved in there. Uh, we'll read on. Who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, and all of its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize the spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away livestock and goods, and to seize great spoil? So this is the motivating factor for this group of nations that is going to come against the people of Israel. It's to seize spoil, to plunder. And maybe that'll be necessary when, you know, you're not supplying oil to the nations. You're not supplying oil to Europe. And there is like need in your nation. You're going to go to the source, those which have everything you need, and it's going to be Israel. Look at verse 16, chapter 38. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land in the latter days. I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog... I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I mean, this is, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not spending time here this morning because focusing on Daniel chapter 7 and just saying, hey, is the bear Russia? But I'd encourage you to go home, spend some time in 38 and 39. This, this prophecy tells us that Israel will be totally outmatched, like Dunzo, 
like totally outnumbered. The, the defeat is completely imminent. They are done like dinner, okay? And when it appears that there is completely and absolutely no chance, God is going to step in and save them. And it's going to be to demonstrate to all of these nations and to Israel that the Lord is God. I mean, we wonder when this might happen. He doesn't tell us besides that it'll be out, you know, in the latter days. And, and many Bible scholars believe that this is the action that, that sets the stage for the great tribulation, that may set the stage for the coming of the man of peace who will make peace between Israel and the nations. I think that that's very likely that this happens before the tribulation. Now check out, and hopefully we won't be here, check out Ezekiel 38 verse 18 to 23 that describes what God does. 38, 18 to 23. But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of, of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all people who are on the on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down, and the cliffs shall fall, and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Wow. That's a crazy description, isn't it? It's like, man, there'll be no messing around when it comes to this point. So, thoughts. Well, I would say this to you. You know, the action of Russia to reclaim its former glory, don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. But know this. God is going to use all of this to exercise his judgment on the nations. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Revelation tells about the rise of the Antichrist, the coming of his kingdom that is going to encompass all of the nations of the earth. I believe it's going to happen after Ezekiel 38 and 39. And in Revelation chapter 13, this coming world leader, appears on the scene. And I'm just going to read verse 2 because it describes him and, and his kingdom. It says this, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. These are the same animals from Daniel chapter 7. Let me read this again. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. 
Well, it's incredible that in, when we turn to the book of Revelation, what we see is this, is that this end-time globalist kingdom that is going to come upon the earth will have a, a similarities to the leopard, the bear, and the lion. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, to me, it, like, it pictures that all of these nations are encompassed into the beast's authority. And so, uh, hey, fun to think about these things, isn't it? So let me just give us a couple applications. First one's this, and not on the screen. Look it. Let's be preoccupied with God's word. <laughs> not preoccupied with current events. They're really good. I, I love reading, watching, seeing what's going on. But let's not make that our preoccupation, church, because the answers for us are in the word of God. In the word of God. To the law and the testimony. Let's be students of the word of God. Yeah, man. You will not regret any time you spend studying the Word of God, soaking in the Word of God. I'm reminded, uh, uh, Ken reminded me of something on Wednesday night, which I just thought was so good, you know, from the story of Joshua, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua and stood over him with a sword. And Joshua said, whose side are you on? The angel said, wrong question, buddy. The question is, whose side are you on? Joshua, are you on my side? Are you on my side? In church, we need to be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't be frightened in these days. Just We're on the side of the Lord. We're trusting in Jesus. His kingdom is coming and it will happen. And the Lord will unfold his things on the face of the earth. He will put hooks in the jaws of nation. There will be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence, and, and days that seem frightening. But look at the church is to be prepared, not dismayed. The church is to make sure she is ready and dressed in white, not frightened, because the bridegroom is coming. And that makes me think this. You know, if you're uh, here with us this morning, watching online with us, and you don't know Jesus, man, that's what matters. At the end of the day, that is what matters. That is what matters. Your sin has separated you from God. And God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus, to bring you back into relationship with Him, those that are watching online. And the only escape is to trust in Christ. And Christ will forgive you of your sin, wash you in His blood, and He will bring you into relationship with His Father and fill you with His Spirit. And there is incredible hope when you trust Jesus. Don't you think? It's like, Jesus is so good. He's the greatest thing in our lives, isn't he? He's so good. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, man, your life will be changed and transformed. And you'll, you'll take the word of God, you'll pick it up, and you'll be able to look upon this world with a different point of view. You'll see behind the curtain. And what you'll find out is that there's a director. And he sits on a throne <laughs> that encircles the earth. And heaven and earth and everything on the earth, under the earth, above the earth is going to glorify him and going to confess that he is Lord. And that's who we trust. And his name is Jesus. And so it's fun to speculate about what he's doing, don't you think? Let's pray this morning. Worship team's going to come. Would you guys stand with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, as we look out upon our, on 
this world, Lord, our heart breaks for people that have lost their homes, mothers that have lost their sons, children that are orphans, people that are refugees. Lord, would you just show us how to pray? Would you show us how to support, Lord? Would you show us how to love? Would you, Jesus, Jesus, make us your hands and feet, we pray. In this generation, Lord, we want to serve you. We want to honor you. And I thank you, Lord, that nations can make their plans. Kings of the earth can strut like roosters and give their threats. And we thank you that there is a God who sits upon the throne and he laughs. He laughs at the nations of the earth because he's unfolding his plans and his purposes. And so Jesus, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.